love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this covenant is a covenant which reveals our sin, and our sin is our neglect and failure to love, to love God and to love our neighbor. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today, Dr. Beach continues his teaching series on how does God say he loves us. Here is part three, the covenant with Moses. How does God say that he loves us? One of the main ways we know how God loves us is he's given us this book, the scriptures. One of the things that we are looking at right now about how he says he loves us is we're looking at his covenants because his covenants, which have been given throughout human history, are expressions of God's love for us. So this morning is the third in a series of sermons, and I'd like you to open your Bible to Exodus 19, and we'll eventually get to Exodus 19. First, we're going to kind of do a walk through the Bible, or at least walk through the first book of the Bible. Throughout human history, the Lord has reached out to the human race to express His desire for a relationship, His desire for intimacy with the creation that He's made. His covenants, which he made throughout history, reveal his grace, they reveal his love, they reveal his faithfulness. Now, some would argue, and I didn't really cover much about this, that God made a covenant with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. And in that covenant, it was a covenant of redemption, that God will make all things right, that a deliverer will come, and that deliverer will come and smash down Satan under his feet. We did talk about the covenant with Noah. A covenant of preservation until that deliverer comes. And then last week we looked at the covenant with Abraham. That is a covenant of righteousness. A covenant that was based on faith. Remember Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, who was Abraham's son? Anybody remember? Isaac. Right. Now Isaac became the recipient of the blessing. And we find that then Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And it's interesting that in Genesis 27 to 35, Jacob gets a lot of press. It's almost like he's the, one of the central figures of the book of Genesis. And the writer, Moses, is trying to draw everybody's attention to Jacob. Well, there's several reasons for that. First of all, Jacob was the recipient of the blessing. Secondly, there's a story about Jacob wrestling with God. And in that wrestling with God, God changes Jacob's name. His name becomes Israel. He went from being the surplanter, Jacob, to being he who strives with God. Now, Jacob had, or Israel, and by the way, that can get confusing when you're reading your Bible because it'll say Jacob, and the next sentence it'll say Israel, and they're talking about the same person. Jacob had 12 sons, and they later involved into what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in Genesis 37, Genesis begins to focus on one of Jacob's sons. His name was Joseph. And you may remember the story of Joseph. Joseph had all these dreams. And he also had the coat of many covers. His dad bought him a special coat and his brothers were envious and they ended up selling him into slavery. So in Genesis chapter 39, we find that Joseph's now a slave. He's been bought by a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife begins to hit on him. And Joseph refuses And so guess what happens? It gets turned around and she screams out and yells out that Joseph was trying to seduce her. And so Joseph ends up in prison. In Genesis 40, Joseph is in prison and he become a leader in the prison. And the king had a problem with his cupbearer and with his baker. 
And he puts them in prison and they have these dreams and Joseph interprets the dreams for them. Comes true just like Joseph said it would. But Joseph's still forgotten about. He's still sitting in this jail. And then eventually the king, Pharaoh himself, he has dreamed. And in Genesis chapter 41, we find that Pharaoh's having this dream. He's frustrated because nobody can interpret it, but he knows it's something important. And someone says, oh yeah, Joseph. And Joseph's in prison, so they go get Joseph. He interprets the dream, and Pharaoh is so grateful that he puts Joseph over the kingdom to manage everything that was going to happen. And if you remember, the part of the dream was that there were going to be seven years of incredible harvest, and then there was going to be a drought and a famine. There's going to be seven years of famine, and you had to prepare for it. Well, during that time of famine, the brothers who had sold Joseph into slavery need food. And they show up in Egypt. And Genesis chapter 42 to 45 gives some great soap opera stuff about Joseph encountering his brothers. Genesis 46, Jacob, his dad, and the whole family ends up moving to Egypt. And we're told that they settle in a fertile piece of the land called Goshen in Genesis 47. And Genesis ends in chapter 50 with Jacob dying in Egypt. And that's how it ends. And then the next book of the Bible is Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 1, 250 years have gone by. The people have multiplied. They took literally be fruitful and multiply. And there were so many of them that they began to be a threat to the the Egyptian folks. And Pharaoh forgot about Joseph. He didn't know anything about their history. And he doesn't like the Hebrews. So he makes them slaves. And if you remember some of the stories, they had to make these bricks with straw, and then they took away the straw, and they had to make the bricks. Actually, there's a museum in uh, Britain that actually has some of these bricks. During this time, the people forgot their covenant with Abraham. They forgot about Joseph. They forgot and began to worship some of the Egyptian gods. In Exodus chapter 2, we have the story of the birth of Moses, and you remember that? Another miraculous birth. Pharaoh's upset of all these uh, Hebrew babies being born, and so he puts an order out to destroy them. Well, somehow Moses miraculously is saved and ironically ends up being raised in Pharaoh's own household. Then in Exodus chapter 3, there's the burning bush where God calls Moses to go and to be the leader of the people, to lead them out of their slavery in Egypt back into the promised land. Do you remember... Moses goes to Pharaoh, who he probably knew pretty well. And he says, God is saying to let his people go. You see, the people were under a blood covenant with their God. And God wasn't forgetting. But what was Pharaoh's response? Pharaoh said, no. And so God does something very interesting. He sends 10 plagues on the land of Egypt. The first nine plagues gave Pharaoh a chance to repent. The tenth plague was a judgment on the nation of Egypt. The first nine, ironically, dealt with certain gods that the Egyptians worshipped. God knocks them down one by one. You remember those? The Nile was turned into blood. Then there were frogs everywhere. Then people had boils. And then there were these hailstorms. And the locusts that came all over the land, there was darkness on the land was one of them. Remember, Pharaoh is supposed to be a god of light. That's part of who Pharaoh is supposed to be. 
And then we get to the covenant, and that's what we, this is all a prelude to this covenant that God makes with Moses and with Israel. Exodus chapter 12, we're told that the Lord says to Moses, have every household on the 10th day of the month of Nisan. Now that was an on the Hebrew calendar, it was a month of the year, Nisan. On the 10th day, you're supposed to take an unblemished lamb. On the 14th day, every family is to kill that lamb. And then take some of the weeds that, that grow up the wall called hyssop and dip them into the blood and then mark with the blood over your doorpost and over your lintel. And they were supposed to then eat some of the lamb and the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread and they were supposed to be dressed ready for a long journey. If they did as God commanded, the blood would be a sign to God so that his judgment would pass over that house when the angel of death arrived in Egypt. This is what's known as the Passover, when the judgment of God passed over the Hebrew people, when God was judging Egypt. Now, once this judgment of God took place, Pharaoh finally relented and he let the Hebrews go. They were free. They were free. But they were not free to be free because, you see, there's no such thing as being completely free. You were always serving someone or something. They were freed from being Pharaoh's slaves to being God's slaves or servants. You see, and as we know now, true freedom is only found in Jesus. It's only that when we're in the Lord that we're able to really be free. So they're freed from Pharaoh. And in Exodus 19, the Hebrews end up on Mount Sinai. And then the Lord gives what we call today the Sinai Covenant, or the Old Testament. It symbolizes the, all of the Old Testament. Now, this covenant was different from the other covenants that God had made with the people at this time. See, the covenant with Noah and the covenant with Abraham were God things. They didn't have to do anything. God was going to do it. But this covenant, God gives the people a choice. So let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 19, We'll start with verse 3. Moses goes up on the mountain, and he receives a message from God. Verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Hey, guys, you've seen what I can do. You just saw me do incredible things to deliver you out of Egypt. Don't forget this. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. If you keep my covenant, you are going to be my special people. If you keep my covenant, if you obey me, you are going to be my treasure. Verse 6. And you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. Priests represented the people before God. And a priest also represented God to the people. And what the Lord is saying here is there were going to be a holy nation. That is, they were supposed to, as a nation, represent the God to the peoples of the earth, to the nations of the earth. They were supposed to be a window into the Lord to shine forth his light to the rest of the world. They'd be set apart. They'd be different. Verse 7, So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. 
We will do everything the Lord has said. We will do everything the Lord has said. Now, the rest of the chapter sets the stage for the chapter 20, which we now know as the Ten Commandments. And in this chapter, God wants to speak directly to the people. And never before has this happened, that God speaks to three million people at the same time in Hebrew. So he speaks to them what we call the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. In verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Verse 16, you shall not give false testimony. And verse 17, you shall not covet. Now you would think if the Lord had just spoken, that people would be in awe. That they would be excited. God spoke and I heard him. But it's too much for the people. They don't want God speaking to them. Look at verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God to speak to us or we will die. They were afraid and they block God out and insist on a mediator. They resist a personal relationship with God. Religious people have been doing this ever since. Form, rituals, traditions, yes. But let's don't get too close to God. Let's be real religious. Let's be real spiritual. But let's don't get too close to God. Well, that finishes chapter 20. But God's not through. And he tells Moses in chapters 21, 22, and 23, what's now called the book of the covenant. God basically takes the Ten Commandments and he applies them to everyday living. Then in chapter 24, Moses takes this and he relays it to the people. And look at verse 3, chapter 24, verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Then in verse 4, Moses writes down the covenant. He builds an altar that stands for the Lord, and he builds 12 pillars which stand for the 12 tribes of Israel. In verse 5, he sacrifices young bulls and peace offerings. That's the blood covenant. Verse 6, he takes half of the blood and he sprinkles it. He pours it on the altar. In verse 7, he reads the book of the covenant, and for a third time, A third time that people respond, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then Moses takes the other half of the blood and he sprinkles it on the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and the 70 elders, they go back on the mountain where the presence of the Lord has descended. And look what happens in verse 9. Moses and Aaron and Nedab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. They had a covenant meal. 
Now, this event was repeated 40 years later with their children in what we now call the book of Deuteronomy. And in chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy, he gives the blessings and the curses of the covenant. If you obey, these blessings will happen. If you disobey, these curses will happen. Now, if you know your Bible history, you know that within six weeks, the people who said all that the Lord has said we will do, within six weeks, they had disobeyed and broken the covenant. So what's the significance of this to us? I think this covenant shows us what sin is. That's the significance for us today. It shows you and me what sin is. God is love, agape, 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Agape is the Greek word for love. He's agape. That means it's unconditional, undeserved, unreserved, unlimited love. God is love. He's agape. And in this covenant, God is saying, I am making absolutely plain to you what sin is. You see, you and I have been created in the image of God. We are made to be perfect mirrors of God's agape, of his love to the world around us. We are supposed to be mirrors of that. And sin is my failure to act as the God of agape acts. Sin is my failure to act toward you with agape love. Because sin is basically my self-centeredness, my selfishness. My sinfulness revolves around me. You've heard me say before that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is me, self. Me, myself, and I. In the Ten Commandments, all these thou shall not sound so negative, but they're not. They're agape. God is saying, if you want to live, then don't do this. If you want to love, you won't do this. The Ten Commandments are like candy wrappers. You don't eat the wrapper. You eat what's inside the wrapper. The wrapper helps you get to the candy. If I love you, I won't run away with your wife. I shall not commit adultery. If I love you, I won't steal your property. If I love you, I'm not going to lie to you. If I love you, I'm not going to kill you. If I love my mom and my dad, I'm going to honor them. How did Jesus summarize the law when he was asked about it in Mark chapter 12? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this covenant is a covenant which reveals our sin, and our sin is our neglect and failure to love, to love God and to love our neighbor. There used to be a restaurant in New York where the Palisades River drops into the Hudson River, and there was a parking lot that would go right up to the edge, and there was a rail right on the edge, and on that rail was a sign that said, beyond this point, no parking. Beyond this point, no parking. Now the message was clear. Beyond this point is death. If you want to live, obey the sign. So why this covenant? It shows us clearly where death is, where sin is, 
where we fall short, where you and I mess up before the Lord. This covenant reveals to us where we miss God's law. In doing this, we fail to obey God's law. And failing to obey God's law, we fail to love him and we fail to love our neighbor. Now, this was something that was written thousands of years ago, and yet it's still relevant to us. And there's a reason why it's still relevant to us. First of all, it's true. Who of us this morning could go around and say that we have not violated one of the Ten Commandments? You say, well, I hadn't killed anybody. Maybe you haven't. But remember what Jesus said? He said, if you have hatred in your heart and unresolved anger towards your brother, it's murder. You remember what you say? Well, I may not have committed adultery. But he said, he took it to a level, if, if, if I'm committing adultery with someone in my mind, if I'm lusting after them, then, then I violated it. You say, well, I don't use the Lord's name in vain. Well, if we call ourselves Christians, Christ ones, and we misrepresent what Jesus is about, then we are wearing his name in vain. We could go through all of the commandments and come up with the same result. We've all messed up. And what happened in this covenant was the people would mess up again and again and again, and they would bring the unblemished lamb to offer atonement for their sin, but even that would fall short. And so what did God end up doing? He sent the perfect lamb his son, his son whose blood was poured out, whose blood that was poured out makes perfect atonement for your sin and for my sin. You see, this old covenant actually points to the new covenant, the covenant where Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. So this morning, I'd like to end the sermon with this thought for you to consider. Some of you have kind of been toying with this thing about, well, do I really want to follow him? Do I really want to live for him? Do I really want him in my life? Well, I want to ask you, have you asked him into your life so that your sin is atoned for? So that his blood, which is poured out on the cross, has been poured about on your sin? If not, there's a block. There will be a block between you and the Lord. There will be something that will hold back And you will never be able to encounter him like you truly desire to encounter him. Amen. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit awordfromthelord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. A word from the Lord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one minute radio feature and much more. So visit a word from the Lord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find a word from the Lord on Facebook and be sure to click the like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter, 
His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.